The Apostle Paul was a man who was committed to Judaism. He called himself a Jew of Jews. He was highly trained and highly devout. In fact, before God changed Paul, he viewed his devotion to Judaism as a call in part to persecute those who belonged to a new religious movement. They were devoted to a man who claimed to be the Son of God, who was crucified and who had risen from the dead. These people were called Christians. However, God had great plans for Paul. On his way to bring harm to some of those Christians, Jesus appeared directly to Paul himself, and the Lord told him that he would be used to be an apostle, one who would be sent to take the message of Christianity to others. Paul not only became a Christian, he became a devout missionary and church planter, planting many churches and raising up others to lead those churches. One place where Paul planted a church was the powerful city of Ephesus. And one of those whom Paul trained and whom Paul had left to lead the church in Ephesus was a young man by the name of Timothy. The letters of 1st and 2nd Timothy are Paul's correspondence and charge to Timothy to pastor the church in Ephesus well. So these two letters are what we will study over the next several weeks in a series called Instructions for the Local Church. You see, Timothy was the leader of the church in Ephesus, and Paul is giving instructions to Timothy on how to lead the church. So this Letter is not only applicable to pastors, we have our three pastors in the room, but also to the church itself. Today's sermon is entitled, Focusing on What's Important. Focusing on What's Important. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him to speak to us as we study His Word, because after all, it is important that we focus on the Lord and ask Him to speak to us as we study His Word. So join me now in prayer. Thank you, God, that we can study your word. Father, help us to adore your name above all else. Lord, tune our hearts not only to sing your praise, but to receive your word by the power of your spirit. We need to hear from you through your miraculous, supernatural inspiration. You spoke through the Apostle Paul as he wrote to Timothy, as he wrote to the church in Ephesus, but also you are speaking through him today to the church in Barto. So bless us, God, and show us how we are to be more like Jesus. Lord, for those who are still walking in darkness and sin, Lord, draw them even now by the power of your Spirit, to conviction of their sins, and to seeing that there is not only a new life, but a greater life found in Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, today's passage, as is normally the case with the first few verses of a book, there's a little bit of introduction. Uh, this is a letter from Paul. He writes some introductory things in here. But then Paul gets right into it with some impactful truth 
for Timothy, for the church in Ephesus, and also by God's Spirit for us. So let's look at this passage. I'm going to read the whole thing, and you can follow along in your Bibles. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible, but you can follow along, and then we'll walk through it together. 1 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 1 through 17. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may instruct certain people not to teach false doctrine or to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies. These promote empty speculations rather than God's plan, which operates by faith. Now the goal of our instruction is love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and turned aside to fruitless discussion. They want to be teachers of the law, although they don't understand what they're saying or what they are insisting on. But we know that the law is good, provided one uses it legitimately. We know that the law is not meant for a righteous person, but for the lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinful, for the unholy and irreverent, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral and homosexuals, for slave traders, liars, perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound teaching that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God which was entrusted to me. I give thanks to Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, appointing me to the ministry, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an arrogant man. But I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance and unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. But I receive mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus, might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Isn't that a great passage? This thing kind of just preaches itself, but I'm going to preach nonetheless, okay? As we reflect upon this page, I wanna, this passage, I want to extract three foundational truths from this letter from Paul, because we're journeying beyond this passage in weeks to come, but these are foundational truths for the letter, but also truths that are foundational and applicable to our own lives. So if you're taking notes, write this down first. Godly instruction is rooted in love. Godly instruction is rooted in love. Paul gives some beautiful introductory words, including his mention of the wonderful grace, mercy, and peace that come from God the Father and our Lord Jesus. Then Paul transitions in verse 3 to a charge for Timothy to remain in Ephesus. He says, I told you this already in Macedonia, and I'm telling you again, remain in Ephesus. You see, Timothy was serving as pastor in Ephesus. And if Timothy is like most pastors I know, there were probably times that Timothy wanted to give up and head out. I'm out of Ephesus. I'm done with this. 
But Paul says, I want you to remain at the church in Ephesus. Paul gives the primary reason why he wanted Timothy to remain in Ephesus. Look at verse 3 again. Paul says, so that you may instruct certain people not to teach false doctrine or to pay pay attention to myths and endless genealogies. Now, I just want to tell you, as your pastor, we pastors hear a lot of crazy stuff. And a lot of crazy stuff people think is worth discussing in the church setting, or they think it's acceptable or okay to teach it. They were dealing with this back then as well. And the particular problem for those in Ephesus had to do with false doctrine, myths, and, and, and some issue with certain genealogies. However, there could be other issues for other churches at other times, right? The, the point is not just these three uh, false doctrines, myths, and genealogies. The point is there was something distracting them from the, the true instruction. I'll tell you, some of the biggest issues that I deal with are also false doctrine, conspiracy theories, and personal preferences. Those are the three main issues I deal with when it comes to things that I do not want to teach and other people do. False doctrine, conspiracy theories, and personal preferences. Now, I I don't know if they had conspiracy theories back then. I think probably that's what the endless genealogies probably is talking about. And I guarantee you they had issues with personal preferences also. But let me just help you out, church. I want to save you some time, and hopefully save me some time as well. If it's not in the Bible, don't ask that it be taught in our church. Don't waste your time. If it's some crazy theory that you came up with, don't expect our three pastors to care a whole lot about it. And if it's about your personal preferences, don't expect our pastors to act like that's the most important thing in the church. And I'm not saying I don't care about those things at all. I don't. I like talking to y'all. I enjoy getting a laugh out of your crazy theories sometimes. I enjoy it. That's not what I'm talking about. But what I'm saying is what is most important? What is most important? That's right. What is in the Bible is most important. It's not false doctrine. Certainly not false doctrine. It's not conspiracy theories. And it's not personal preferences. It's not false doctrine. It's not myths. And it's not endless genealogies. Rather than being concerned with silliness, we should be concerned with the proper handling of God's Word. We should want it taught accurately and properly and faithfully. And in addition to being a family, we are a family that is rooted together in love, and we seek to glorify God in all that we do. In addition to that, one of the primary purposes for the church is that it would be a place of godly instruction. That is one of the primary purposes of our gathering. Well, what is the goal of this godly instruction? Well, as always, I'm glad you asked. Paul tells us in verse 5, look at verse 5 again. The goal of our instruction is love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. When pastors and others seek to teach the truth of God's word, it is done as an act of love. That is why we seek to teach the word of God faithfully and accurately, because we love you. It is an act of love to do that. Now, I'm going to be crystal clear. I do not always teach it faithfully and accurately. I'm not 
perfect. But I sure try. I do, and I don't try to be perfect. I try to be like Jesus who is perfect, so I guess I do. But I try to teach the Word of God faithfully and accurately. And our other Sunday school teachers, our small group leaders, our Bible study leaders, our D group leaders, our other pastors, we all try to teach the way God would have us to teach. The message of God is a message of love because the creator of the universe has spoken to you. The creator of the universe has spoken to you and he wants to know you as his own. That is an act of love. And that is why the message of God is so important. That's why it is itself an act of love. However, Paul said that some had departed from this message and started chasing after nonsense. Church, may we never care more about secondary issues and nonsense than we care about the Word of God. May we never care more about conspiracy theories, certainly not false doctrine, and certainly not personal preferences, then we care about the loving message that springs from God's word. True godly instruction is rooted in love. Second, we see sin is rooted in lawlessness. Sin is rooted in lawlessness. So pay attention here. Paul speaks of the law and sin and how the two interact. Now some of you, God has been gracious to our church and he continues to bring new people and I'm so grateful for that. And I feel like sometimes when I get to issues like this, I have to say, you weren't here when I taught on this. But we do have a website you can go to and learn more about what I taught on this from the book of Romans. Paul spends a lot of time in the book of Romans, speaking about how the law interacts with the gospel and with righteous people and with unrighteous people. He spends a lot of time talking about that in the the early to middle part of Romans. And he comes to it again here, but just briefly. And he talks about how these two interact. So look at verse 8 again. Verse 8 says, But we know that the law is good, provided one uses it legitimately. So he says in Romans, the law is not bad, but he says the law is incomplete. And for the righteous person who's been saved by Jesus Christ, the law is not as applicable as the one who has not yet come to Christ. And he says that in this passage as well. It's, for, it's not for the righteous person, it's for the lawless person. And you might say, well, what does that mean? Well, you may remember, church, from our discussion in Romans, that the primary purpose of the law is to show us what is righteous and to show us what is sinful. It's to give us a picture of God's standard and how we measure up with that standard. Some of you may remember the illustration of the speed limit sign. We've got a speed limit sign here for you, right? And you may remember me saying this before. When I drive, sometimes I know I might be speeding. I just don't know how bad it is, right? Like I don't know if I'm going 15 over or 25 over, but I know I need to slow down. But when you have a speed limit sign... It shows you the law. It shows you the standard. It shows you what is expected. The law of God shows us God's righteousness and our sin. And it shows us God's standard for righteousness. That's what the law of God does. It shows us our sin 
So then we will see we need help. You know, if I were to drive 55 miles an hour in a 35, this is not in Florida because the leaves don't change like that in Florida, but wherever this is, so if I were driving 55 miles an hour and I would stand before the judge and he or she were to say, you are guilty because you were going 55, I would have nothing to say except I need mercy. I need mercy. That's the point of the law of God as well, to show us our sin and to show us that we need mercy and we need grace. It shows us the standard. And Paul, he lists here several particular sins. Uh, by the way, this is not an exhaustive list of every sin. Because some of you are looking at that and say, well, looks like I'm good. I haven't done any of those things. Well, no, that's not the point. These are particular sins that Paul lists here. He lists uh, lawlessness, which, by the way, all of you would get caught up in that. Uh, rebellion, ungodliness, sinfulness, unholiness, irreverence, murder, sexual immorality, homosexuality, slavery, lying, perjury, and then he adds, this catches all of us, right? Whatever else is contrary to the sound teaching. That, that's like when you do a job description, when you hire somebody, the last thing says, whatever else the boss tells you to do, right? That's this kind of this point. Paul's saying, whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. So our goal as God's people should be, as Paul said in verse 11, to do that which conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God. That should be our goal, to do the things that conform to the gospel that's been given to us by Jesus Christ. Yet, when we reject God's ways to do what we want to do instead, that's sin. Some of you might say, what's an easy definition for sin? I might be talking to children or grandchildren or someone who doesn't know Jesus, my neighbor. How can I explain sin in an easy way? Here's the way to say it. Rejecting God's ways to do what you want to do instead. That's what sin is. Rejecting God's ways or God's standard or God's law to do what you want to do instead. Sin is rejecting holiness for unholiness. Sin is rejecting honoring our parents for dishonoring our parents. Sin is rejecting honoring life for murder. Sin is rejecting God's design for marriage or for pure singleness, for sexual immorality or homosexuality or any modern variation of that. Sin is rejecting truth for lying. Sin is rejecting honoring and valuing others for slavery. And this, this just addresses some of the ones in this passage. I could go on. But sin is rejecting something that God has designed in order for something that you desire instead. That's what sin is. So I want to tell you, church, culture's view on these issues will shift from time to time. If you just go back and look at history, you can look at all of these issues, and the view of culture, not only in Western culture, but all throughout the world, is different. In fact, right now, as we speak in 2023, you can go to different cultures at the same exact time, and they have different beliefs and standards regarding these things. However, God's word is constant. God's word on these issues does not change. The view of Christians, not just cultures, the view of Christians will shift on these issues as well from time to time. 
In fact, there was a day and time when proclaiming Christians even supported the evils of the slave trade. That is an atrocity against God and against God's creation. But professing Christians supported that. Church, we must stand for the Bible, no matter the view of the culture, no matter the view of other professing Christians, we must stand on God's law. At times, in fact, churches or Christians may even be considered bigoted or hateful because they stand for biblical views. By the way, no matter how much we love people, we may be accused of being bigoted. I had someone accuse me one time on Facebook for being bigoted. And I thought, you don't know me. If you knew me, you would see I'm the biggest fan for you. I want you to have fun in life. I want you to love life. You don't know me and call me bigoted. I'm just not, but, but if we have a particular view that we say God's word teaches, all of a sudden we're hateful. Now this is the way, this is the culture in which we live. But we must understand this, church. The culture does not set the standard for righteousness. The majority does not set the standard for righteousness. Listen to this. The church does not set the standard for righteousness. God sets the standard for righteousness. God is our guide and his word is our standard. We must remember that. We must hold true to that. Don't forget to teach the truth of God's word is actually an act of love. It is an act of love when done properly the way Paul tells, this, Paul tells Timothy to do with a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith as he speaks about in verse 5. So we must remember that. To teach the law of God faithfully is an act of love. To reject the law of God personally is an act of sin. Sin is rooted in lawlessness. Which, by the way, is a problem for all of us. Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That takes us to our final point. Salvation is rooted in grace. Salvation is rooted in grace. In case we think that Paul is simply wagging his finger at all the sinners in the world, he makes it very clear in this passage that all of us are sinners in need of the grace of God. Look at verse 15. Skip down to verse 15. See clearly Paul's position on this matter. He says in verse 15, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. Paul's not pointing out how bad everyone else is while saying that he really has his act together. <laughs> Rather, Paul is saying that all of us need the salvation that comes through Jesus. Church, I'm not saying to you that all of you are sinners and you need to be like me. Please don't do that. You would have so many issues if you were like me. Be like Jesus. Set your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Forsake sin and pursue Jesus because I, like Paul, am the worst of sinners. Look at verse 13. Paul says in verse 13, he was a blasphemer. 
a persecutor and an arrogant man. I've never been a persecutor. Maybe at times I've been a blasphemer, but I know I'm certainly an arrogant man. I am the chief of arrogant men. But despite his sin, despite my sin, despite his sin, God appointed Paul to ministry as an apostle. And he received mercy and grace from God. Not because he was special, but because the grace of God is special. Church, none of us deserve the forgiveness of sins that is offered through Jesus. None of us. The fact that any of us are rescued from sin is an act of God's grace. Look at verse 16. Paul says, But I received mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. Listen to what Paul's saying. There's actually some humor in this verse. Paul's saying, I was so bad that by God saving me, he was showing how patient he actually was. <laughs> so that other people would say, if God can forgive Paul, he can certainly forgive me because Paul's bad. Okay, so this is, this is what Paul's saying here. He's saying that salvation is rooted in grace. Let this bottom line summarize Paul's message in 1 Timothy chapter 1. We must focus on the message that Jesus saves sinners. You were to say to me, what, what is chapter 1, verses 1 through 17 about? Jesus saves sinners. And you see, sometimes we like to take that list of sins and set it aside and say, these are the people that are the enemies of the church. Well, if that's the case, then we are the enemies of the church because we fit in that category somewhere. That is not the message of 1 Timothy chapter 1. The message of 1 Timothy chapter 1 is that Jesus saves sinners. Sin is real, and it is a big problem. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is also real, and it is a bigger solution to that problem. Let us not be distracted by secondary, sinful, or slanderous issues. Man, it breaks my heart when we lose focus on the gospel, and we start squabbling about stupid stuff. Church, we must remember Jesus saves sinners. Spend some time focusing on the fact that Jesus saves sinners. Let us focus on that and be thankful for that. The grace of God. This church is a trustworthy saying. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's what the Apostle Paul says. And verse 17 beautifully displays the praise that is due to God because of his wonderful grace shown through Jesus. I love verse 17. So beautiful. Paul says, Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This sounds like the end of the book, but it's actually the end, not even quite the end of the first chapter. This is Paul saying, I got to stop for a minute and have a little doxology to the Lord God. Because of how great his grace is. May we remember the grace of God. And give the king all the praise to his name. 
Challenge yourself this week. I've got three weekly challenges. Buckle up, okay? It's going to be a tough week for you. Three weekly challenges. Number one, determine to focus on what is most important for the church. Determine to focus on what is most important for the church. Picture with me for just a moment that we have two buckets. I should have brought some buckets. I didn't bring any buckets, but just picture with me. We have two buckets. I wonder if we gathered all the concern and chatter in our church and sorted it into two buckets. One with true godly conversation, with the prayers for the gospel, with true concern about sound godly teaching, and one filled with conversations concerning other matters such as false teaching or personal preferences or conspiracy theories or gossip, whatever it might be. I wondered if we could somehow miraculously do that in our church. Which bucket would weigh more? You don't have to answer that. Please don't. (laughs) But think about that. What about in your own life? Which bucket would weigh more? The thing that we're to be most concerned about Or the thing which more than likely distracts us from that which we should be most concerned about. Or in some cases, the thing that actually fits in that list of sins which Paul says we are to forsake and pursue the true gospel. Take some time this week. Make a commitment to focus on what is most important for the church. Will you make a commitment to focus on the gospel and true godly instruction? Weekly challenge number two, thank God for the gospel. Take some time this week and thank God for the gospel. Thank thank him for how he has saved you from your sins. Thank him for how he's rescued you from that which Paul says in his own life made him the worst of all sinners. We should all feel that way about our own sin. Aren't you glad you don't have to live a life without the grace of God? in your life. I'm so thankful. I don't want to know what Matt McCraw without Jesus would look like. <laughs> it's hard enough for the Matt McCraw with Jesus sometimes. So thank God this week. Weekly challenge number three, proclaim the gospel. Proclaim the gospel. Church, this saying is trustworthy. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That is a trustworthy saying. Tell it to other people. Tell it to other people. This is the most important message to share. So will you commit this week to share that trustworthy saying with your neighbor, with your family, with our community, and with the world? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners now some of you might say pastor i would love some helpful tools to help me share the gospel i'd love to know how i can better do that i'm so glad you said that on our website if you go to sermons and then click on go to resources go to sermon by series and click on listen gospel tools for gospel people anybody remember that series Cheryl Ann, okay, some others. 
More than one. Very good. Okay, I can preach it again. If, if, if at least a third of you don't know it, I can preach it again. Okay? <laughs> gospel tools for gospel people. Go to that. Click on that series. It will give you at least three ways, three tools that you can use to share the gospel. And they're good. I use all of them from different at different times. Gospel tools for gospel people. Because I know some of you really do want to share the gospel. You say, Pastor, I need some help. Well, let this be a help to you. The best help you can have is to rely on the power of God's Holy Spirit. So pray to him. Say, God, help me. Help me to be someone who proclaims the gospel. In just a moment, we're going to receive the Lord's Supper. As we do so, I want to give a call to the gospel already. First of all, listen. The whole sermon I just preached was the gospel. <laughs> that God has a way that is the standard of righteousness. We have rejected that, not only in this list of sins that Paul includes, but with an innumerable list of sins that we have all committed. And when we sin, listen, church, listen, it separates us from God. It is a real, terrible separation. Not only on this earth, we cannot have life with God. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, I have come that you might have life. We cannot have life with God when we are in our sins. But not only that, separates us from all eternity in a real place called hell where there is real punishment, real judgment, more horrific than we can ever imagine. All the descriptions of hell do not do justice to how terrible it will actually be. But listen, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If you are in sin, turn from your sin and turn to Jesus. He will save you. You will, you will never regret it. You will never regret giving your life to Jesus. Now, I don't, but listen, I don't mean everything's going to be great and perfect for you. It's not. I'm just telling you, it's not. Following Jesus involves hardships, but it's better to follow Jesus. Not only on this earth, but the, the glory of paradise in heaven with God. Words do not do justice to tell you how wonderful that will be. When Jesus makes all things right and good and perfect in your life. I can't even imagine what perfection looks like. This morning when I was getting ready for church, I was like, man, my stomach's bothering me. Man, I, I can't wait so I don't have to worry about my stomach bothering me some days. You can fill in the blank for whatever it is you're suffering through. I can't even imagine it. Glory with God forever. Perfect. No sin, no suffering, no pain or sorrow. So as we take the Lord's Supper in just a moment, I want to encourage you, if you don't know Jesus, reflect upon this church who's coming together to remember the death, burial, and resurrection of a real man who really was God himself, who really did live again in new life and really did ascend to heaven, really did give his life so that you could have your sins forgiven. We believe that. That is why we remember the sacrifice of Christ when we take the supper. That is why we celebrate his resurrection, because he gives us new life. After we take the supper, our pastors will remain uh, after the service is over. I want you to know, if you need to know Jesus, if you have any spiritual questions, if you need to know how to work through some sin issue that you're dealing with, come find one of our pastors. Come find one of our deacons serving the supper. Ask them, how can I know Jesus? Come find someone that just looks like they might love you. <laughs> Say, how can I know Jesus? Because we want you to know how you can have new life and all things can be made good and right in your life when you follow Jesus.
because he lives, we could face tomorrow. I hope you believe that. I want to pray, and as we pray, I want to ask our deacons to make their way forward as we prepare to receive the Lord's Supper. Join me now in prayer.